We're starting from the mission at the top of the oven. Or he borrowed money from him. Or his friend gave him something to watch. In all these cases, the common denominator is that he owes him uh, money. He has to give him something back. So what's the halacha? By Yishuv, if it's the place where people live, or if he comes into the possession of this stolen thing, the borrowed money or the deposit in a place where people live, he cannot return it to the owner in the wilderness. The idea is that the wilderness is not as safe. That's that's the point. So this guy, in order to, 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 to absolve himself of any future responsibility of the guarding the money or the object, he's trying to get rid of it and say, I'm out, I'm done. And that's what we call, the terminology for that is called hashava the act of returning. So you're trying to return it to the owner so that it, all the responsibility will, will shift from him back to the owner. So the mission is saying that if the, even if the owner is in the, um, is in the wilderness, the halacha is that, that, that this guy cannot force him, he cannot compel him to accept it in, that, in, the, in, the, in the region of the wilderness because it's a little bit more of a dangerous place and therefore he has the right to say, no, 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 give it back to me only when I'm, in, only when I'm back into a settled place. Okay, however, if he accepted it on condition, he's going to go out to the wilderness, the asshole of a midbar, then he can return it to him in the midbar. So the Gemara is going to take a look at this. Does it mean like so simply, like that's what they said? They said at the time he gave him the money, I'm giving this to you, I'm accepting it, but only on condition I can return it to you in the, in the desert. That's what it seems like at face value, but that would make the mission like super simple, super obvious. If they stipulated exactly those words between them, well, then of course they could be returning it in the desert. So the Gemara will look at that. All right, so the story of the Mishnah is that when you owe somebody money, you have a din you have a din to return it to them, Allah is you have no tevi on him to accept it necessarily in the wilderness. It has to be, um, you should return it rather in a safe place. So the Gemara asks for a minute, we have a question from this onto the price. It says in the price of Milva Mishalavas Bachamako, a loan can be repaid in any location. It's only the lost article of the deposit that need to be returned in its place. So it sounds like there's a difference. Uh, according to the understanding that we're saying is that there is, in fact, a difference between a loan and other things. And what's the aside of the difference? So it seems that the aside of the difference, what the Gemara is thinking now, is that a loan, I just owe you money, right? It's not like a din I have to guard your money. The opposite. I kind of like spend all of your money and just give you other ones. So there, the din is just get you money. I give you the money. Give you the money wherever I get to you. I give it to you in an unsafe place. I give it to you in an unsafe place. Avedim and are different. The lost article and the deposit are different because there the pshat is, you have a din to guard my thing. The only way you only way you can absolve yourself is that when you return it to a very guarded place, because you have it then to guard it. So maybe over there we say that you have to return it uh, not in the desert. So the stira is what about paying the loan in the desert? The price says you go. The mission says you can. This actually what the price is saying. The payment for a loan can be demanded anywhere. No, it doesn't make a difference where where the uh, the lender is demanding the payment. The borrower has to go along with it. In other words, let's say. Let's say for whatever reason, he wants it in the desert. I don't know, he's going at it. You have to give it in the desert. A milva, you owe him. If you owe him an idea like that, that's not me was gracious and did you a favor to lend you money, you become subservient to him. Wherever he wants the money, you give him the money. The loss on him, the deposit can only be demanded in their place. In other words, it wasn't an act of kindness that the guy did uh, to give it to me. It wasn't like that. So he doesn't have the upper hand. So if he gave it to him, deposit in one city, and now they're in another city, he can't demand that the custodian give it to him in the other place. So it's actually not talking about the, the person paying back. It's talking about the opposite. It's talking about the person who owns the money demanding from the custodian or the debtor that he return it to him. And we're saying that uh, a, a lova, you could demand that he return it anywhere. But Aveda, because then specifically, you only have a right for him to demand it. In, to, you only have a right to demand that he gives it back when you're in the place where you gave it to him. 
All right, continues the Gemara. If you accepted the money, the deposit, on condition that you're going to go out to the wilderness to return it, then you could return it there. Says the Gemara If the lender agreed to that stipulation and he gave the money only with that, with that stipulation and acceptance, that he might get it back in the desert, then of course it could be. Says the Gemara You know where it's necessary to Amalei? What is what he told him? He said, Let this deposit be by you because I'm going to the desert. Then the Shomer responded, I also have to go to the, to the desert. So they didn't make a stipulation that he's only watching it on condition he will return it in the desert. Then you're right, it would be totally obvious. But the cases where the Shomer said, I also have to go to the desert. So he's expressing that, you're, oh, you're saying, you're giving it to me because you need it to be watched because you're going to the desert. I'm also going. So what's he saying? He's saying, he's trying to say that if I want to return it to you there, I will return it to you there. That's what he's trying to hint him. So sometimes you want even things that aren't said explicitly are as if they have been said explicitly. And that's the novelty of our case here. That he, in this in this particular scenario, he is allowed to return to him in the desert. Okay, continues the Mishnah. Someone said this friend, I stole from you. You let me money. You gave me a, 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 something to watch. But he says, but I cannot remember. I do not know if I returned it to you or did not. So basically, he has a suffix if he owes him money. But the circumstances of the suffix that he knows that the, the reason to owe him money is there. He knows he borrowed from him. He knows he had it. The question is, he can't remember if he did a hashava. What's the halacha chayel He's liable to pay. And the idea is, if you know for sure that at one point you were liable and you're not sure if you fulfilled that the terms of the obligation, so then if there's a doubt, you have to pay. He says, I don't know if I stole from you, whether or not you lend me money, whether or not you were deposited and invaded by me, so then, he's bothered from paying. And this is, you know, generally the big idea is that a suffix in money is a motzimich So unless you know for sure you're obligated, you're bothered. And that would be like the safer. You don't know if you're obligated. The ratio, which was saying you do have to pay, that's really the bigger novelty. And there the idea is that since you know for sure that at one point you were obligated, and it's just a suffix, in your chezkas chiyuv, so there we say out of out of doubt you have to pay. But generally, mamin that's in doubt you don't have to pay. So now the gemara gets into the very famous machlokas amaram itmar. What if someone says I know for sure that you owe me a mana. The other guy says I don't know. So here it's very different than the mishnah. We'll, we'll highlight how it's different. But the point here is that it, the the difference is in the claims. One party is claiming as a bari. He is confident. He knows that the other party owes him money. The other one is a shema. He is doubt. If one claim is bari, he says, I know certainly that you owe me the money, and the other party is only, is only sure, so the bari is stronger. So if the bari is stronger, so he's going to win. No, they'll let the money remain in the one who's holding it. Meaning, says that unless you have proof, and you can't take it away. So even though you're a bari, I'm a Shema, I still have the right to keep the money. So that's all where it was bari against Shema. So now let's line that up against our Mishnah. Tanan, it said in our Mishnah, if he said to me, I don't know if you let me money, he's not liable. If you notice that the perspective in the Mishnah is we don't see what the other party is saying. In the, in our, in, in, in the Gemara, we see that's the whole point, bari against Shema. But in the Mishnah, we just see that 
like half of the conversation. We see that the one who might owe the money is saying, I might owe you the money. We don't see what the other guy is saying. So the Mishnah said, if he said, I don't know whether you lend me money, he is, he's not obligated. What's the case? If the case is that the lender is not demanding the payment because he's also not sure if he, if he is owed the money, and that's the reason he's potter because both the litigants are, are not sure. So then, so then, just for symmetry, that means the ratio also, where you admit you borrowed money, but you don't know if you repaid, must also be discussing a case where the other party has not demanded the payment. So then, Amai, Chai, if it doesn't make sense, you should be liable. In other words, the Gemara is assuming if the case is that the, the, the plaintiff is not sure if he's owed the money, then even if, even if it's a case where there was a Chetz in other words, we know he borrowed the money, but it's a subject if he paid back, it doesn't make sense that he should get the money. If, 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 if practically you're not sure if you're owed the money and I'm not sure if I need to give it to you, the fact that we both remembered that there was a Lava, does not, it doesn't make sense that I should have to pay there. Of course, the Reisha, where, where he takes it away from me, is where a case where he's demanding the payment. And I basically say, I remember borrowing, but I don't remember if I paid. Only there is he going to have to pay. And in that case, in that symmetry, still, if the defendant is unsure whether he ever borrowed the money, he is not liable to pay. So this is a, a contradiction to Rav Huna and Rav Yehuda. They say that the Bari, then uh, the Bari Vishem of Bari Adif. So we're trying to prove that really the mission is talking about Bari. And still it says, but if I, if I don't know if I borrowed from you at all, so then I'm potter from paying. So just to clarify, I get Bari Vishema when I don't know if I borrowed from you at all, I have a suffix borrowed from you. They were going to say La Bari Adif. That's what the Gemara is trying to prove. But, if, but still, of course, the ratio of the mission is true. Whereas Bari Vishema on whether or not I repaid you something that I certainly owed you, then we're going to say Bari, we're, we're certainly we're going to say he has to pay. But what the Gemara doesn't want to buy is certainly Shema Vishema when there's a Chaskas I shouldn't have to pay. So that we know the mission must we're talking about Bari, and still in the Sefer, your potter. Says Gemara, law, it's not the case. Really, it's Shema Vashema. Also, the other guy's not sure if he's owed the money. And that's why in the second case, your potter. In the ratio, when it said your Chayaf, even though the other guy was a Shema, it meant if you want to be sure that uh, in, sh- in the court of heaven that you're doing the right thing. Meaning you're right. Down here, since the other guy is a Shema, 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 you're never going to have to pay. But you're going to have to pay. But again, specific in the case of the ratio where you know you borrowed and you can't remember if you repaid. Even if the other party also can't remember if you repaid. There, you're going to have to pay. So it comes out very interesting that the mission when it said and that's all because both parties were a Shema. So then in the Seifa as well, when it said both parties are a Shema, but in the Hanami, if you'd have a Bari Shema at any point, Point, you'd be high of stam to pay. Says the Gemara, it's Marnami. We see like this as well. Someone says, You owe me money. And the other guy says, I don't know. He is high. If he wants to be, so what do we see from here? Even the Rabbi Yochanan holds that a Bari does not be the Shema, he agrees that there's enough of a doubt that lots is deshamayim you have to pay. So that's just like the man the Amar. Bari v'shema lav bari adif. Bal lots is deshamayim so you have to pay. So too in the first case like Rav Huna and Rav Yehuda where it's shema v'shema where you know you borrowed but you're not sure if you repay then bal lots is deshamayim you should, you should pay. So we really have two different circumstances altogether. So let's just make a big a, a big summary of the whole thing. Bari v'shema what's the halacha? I know you owe me I lend you money you're not sure if you ever borrowed money from me. What's the halacha? It's machlokas. That's the answer. It's machlokas. One opinion bari v'shema bari adif one opinion bari v'shema lav bari adif. Even according to the opinion bari v'shema lav bari adif so I don't have to pay you bal lotzi zidei shemaim I should pay. 
Okay. Then there's another Yisrael. There's a Yisrael that when a person has a cheskas chiyuv, then they should pay. So if one person is bari, that you still owe me the money, and the other person responds, I know I borrowed, but I don't know if I repaid. For sure, you have to pay. Cheskas chiyuv. Well, where both parties are shema about a cheskas chiyuv, then only lots only is the shemayim do you have to pay. All right. Continues the Gemara. Going to Lemon Eder. Someone stole a lamb from a flock, zero. he returned it. So what's the idea? He returned it, but he didn't, never told the owner that he returned it, right? He just stuck it back into the flock. The mates of Nick, subsequently it died or were stolen. So the thief is still responsible. In other words, once you steal it, you're conan, right? You become responsible until you do Ashava. So what's Ashava? So we're saying the Chiddush of the mission is that if you do Ashava and the owner doesn't know about it, that's not that does not constitute a way of returning it. Therefore, your, your responsibility is still on the thief, even if something beyond this control where to occur. So let's say the owner never knew about the theft, though, either. In other words, he didn't know what was stolen from him, and now he doesn't know what was put back. He's totally oblivious to the whole thing. Then Umano is its own he, he counts the flocks, and he sees it's complete. So therefore, in other words, after he finds it complete, he knows that it's in his possession. Then, Potter, the thief is not liable. So if I know it was stolen, but yet you didn't notify me that you put it back. So there, there, there there's a question. You might not be at Mekhamedin Ashava. But if I didn't know it was stolen, I just have it back. So then everything is fine. So now the Gemara gets into four different opinions here in the Amaram about the Ashava. Amar Rav. We start with Rav. And each one is going to read the mission a little bit differently. So we start with Rav. Lidas, according to Rav, opinion number one. If it was stolen with the owner's awareness, or the owner knew it was stolen, Das. And to return it, you have to mamish tell the owner that you have returned it. Anything short of returning is no good. Uh, anything short of informing him that you returned it is not is insufficient. Shalolidas, if it was stolen without the owner's awareness, minion poter. Then it's okay. It constitutes Ashava if the if the owner counted it, meaning he noticed that it had been returned. You didn't inform him, but he noticed that it was back. This, when the Mishnah says he counts the flock and it was complete, that the thief is exempt, it's only going on the safe, where the owner didn't know about the theft. Then as long as he's aware that it's there by counting it, then we say that the thief is potter. But in the ratio where he was aware of the theft, you're not potter if he counts the flock. Then you're potter only if you inform him that you return it. So you need an extra degree of hashava if he knew it, that it was stolen, if he didn't know it was stolen. If he knew it was stolen, you have to inform him that you gave it back. Whereas if he didn't know it was stolen, then it suffices that he just counts the flock and he sees that it's there. Shmuel, Amar Shmuel says, whether it was stolen with his awareness or without his awareness, in both cases, minion poter. If he notices that it's back, that exempts you. This that the Mishnah says, that your poter, once he counts it, cool, it's going on the whole Mishnah. Even if he knows about the stealing, once he becomes aware that it's back, whether or not you informed him, you're always poter. That's Shmuel's opinion. So a little bit more lenient. If it was stolen according to the owner's awareness, minion poter, then he's poter. The thief is potter as long as the owner becomes aware about it, that it was returned, even though you didn't inform him. Shalola das, if he sold without his awareness, you don't even have to make sure that, he's, that he counts it. In other words, as long as he, he's, he's oblivious to the whole thing, you did Ashava just when you put it back, even if he didn't go out and count. This that the Bishop says, and you counted it, now you're potter, that's only going in the ratio where he know you stole it. But if he didn't know you stole it, then just putting it back bothers you regardless of even whether he counts it. So that's more lenient. If it was stolen with awareness, minion poter counting it pater. If it was stolen without his awareness, now look at this. This is almost backwards. Sarech das. Then you have to inform him. Meaning, if he knew it was stolen, then it suffices that he counts it and he notices that it's back. But when you steal it without his awareness, then you have to inform him that you returned it. 
Why? Why? Why is it any more chomer? So the Gemara will explain in a second. This is that the Mishnah says when you count and it's completely your potter, Aresha is going on the ratio when you know it was stolen. But when he didn't know it was stolen, you have to inform him that you're returning it. So the Gemara explains that last opinion right away. It sounds counterintuitive. The reason is all of an acting on nigra baraz. So he gets into t- taking steps outside. What does that mean? Once it's been separated from the flock, the stolen animal is going to be much more likely to wander off on its own. So therefore, if the owner never knew it was stolen and you just put it back, he doesn't know that he has to give it extra care and attention in order to protect it. And then bad things can happen. He might lose it. So in order to be mekayim that did not shava, there you have to inform the owner that it is there. But all of that is because the owner didn't know that it was stolen. Says Gemara, Miyamar Rachel did Rabbi really say this? Rabbi Rabbi said, "Haman the Chazak Haber Lagim Bar Imer Mezudidei." Someone sees his friend lift a sheep from his flock, to, trying to steal it. Rabbi Mekalas he yells at the thief, "Bashadye!" So the the thief throws it down. Below Yadi Hadri Lo Hadri, the owner is not aware whether or not it was returned or not. He just knows he threw it down. He doesn't know if it was actually returned. Mezud Nigdav Soskeli a die or stolen. Chayvachusa the thief is responsible. So my love, I've got the money. The thief is responsible even if subsequently the owner had counted it. Since he didn't inform him that he returned it, so the halacha is that he's still liable. So it's a question, it's a contradiction. We're talking about the owner didn't count the flock. He didn't notice whether or not it was back, but if he noticed he was back, it'd be potter. Okay, so now we're going to go through contradiction of Rav. Rav was the opinion that said... If the owner was aware of the theft, the thief has to notify the owner, the, the owner of the return. It's not enough. It's not enough that he that the owner just notices it. Whereas if the owner was never aware of the theft, then just counting suffices. So the says, The thief returned the stolen lamb to the flock in the desert. He's yotze. But you don't have either one. If you return it to the flock in the desert, you're not notifying him and you're not counting it. So Rav agrees in the case of a spotted lamb. What does that mean? If it's a very distinguishable mark about which item it was, then you don't have to notify and you don't have to count. What's the shot? Because it certainly was not- it was identified when it was stolen. So therefore you realize, and even if he doesn't go and, and count it, you notice that it's there. It's like, you know, you just take a look and you glance and you notice that it's there. It's like almost like people, you recognize them by their face. So by something like that, Rob is going to agree. A spotted lamb doesn't make a difference. You know it was stolen, I know it was stolen, you know it was returned, I know it was returned. You're always going to, by definition, you're going to notice. All right. Let's say that this big four-way dispute in Amaram has as as a machlokas in the Tanam. Why? The price says if someone steals a sheep from the flock, a sell him in a kiss or a sell from the purse, where should he return it to the place that he stole it? Meaning he small. As soon as he returns it to the place that he took it, he now has no further obligation, even if he didn't notify the owner. This is Rabbi Shmuel's opinion. Rabbi Akiva Omar Akiva disagrees, Sarah Das You need the owner to become aware. You have to tell the owner you returned it. So Sivaru the Kalamas is like we think that everyone agrees with, with the Yisoid of Rabbi Yitzchak. The Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, this is something Rabbi Yitzchak says in Parak Elu Mitzias. A person always touches his purse all the time to make sure the money is secure. And moreover, Rashi emphasizes that the Gemara assumes that a person always constantly counts the money. So a person, after it was stolen, will always become aware that money was taken from, from, from his purse. A person will always know that and will know what comes back. So my lab is das. So in the case of the cell that was stolen, that means it was stolen with the awareness because he noticed that it was not gone once he counts it all the time. So what's the machlokas of Rishvavi Rikiva for turning it suffices? They're arguing machlokas Rav and Shmuel. Rabbi Shmuel holds like Rabbi Shmuel holds like Shmuel that even if the owner is aware of the theft, once the thief returns it, he's exempt as long as it's counted. So we assume it would be counted when it goes back to the purse because pure person again always counts money in his purse. And um, and that's the opinion of Rabbi Shmuel. And Rabbi Akiva says, no, since he becomes aware that it was stolen from him, you have to inform him. It's not enough that he would count it. He needs to be informed. 
And in the second case, and in the case of the land that was stolen, presumably it's without the owner's awareness, right? It's not like a type of thing, like the purse that you count all the time, how many flock you have. So it was just taken, presumably, without the awareness of the, of the owner. And then Rishon and Rekiva are arguing about the debate between Rechist and Rabbi Yochanan. Um, because even if it's not a case that he that he that, that he counted the flock after his return, Rishmal is still saying it's okay because you returned it. That's Rabbi Yochanan. If it was stolen without the owner becoming aware, then you don't even need counted. Whereas Rabbi Kiva holds like Rav Chista that if it was stolen even without him knowing, then you have to uh, you have to notify him. So that's what it sounds like that we have all these machlokes and that are related. So Mar says Rav no. But the case is, is actually if you stole it from the domain of the of the owner, then everyone agrees with Rochista that you have to notify him, right? If you would take away without him knowing, you have to return it. And remember, what was Rochista's far where you have to return him and notify? Because it might wander away once it's used to taking steps on its own outside. So if it was taken from the Rochista's bylim, it could be everyone agrees, you have to notify the owner. We're talking about a case of a Shomer who stole an animal that was given to him from his own domain. So it's interesting. You can steal something from your own domain in a case, you're watching this animal for somebody else. Now, that means you're supposed to watch it. It doesn't mean you're supposed to take it for yourself. Here, he took it from himself, for himself, kind of trying to use it. Now he feels bad, and he wants to return it. So the question is, could he return it by putting it back into his own domain and watching it? Or do we say no? Once he was a shomer that took it for himself, in other words, that took it to steal, at this point, he stops being a shomer, and he has to return it to the owner. So that's the dispute, right? The second he takes it for himself, well, then his his, his shmira, his, his obligation to watch it is totally over. And now he has to return it to the owner, and therefore the owner has to be notified. As Rabbi Shmuel, no, he holds that his shmira is not yet over, so therefore his own awareness of the theft and the return suffices. So, a very specific, a fascinating question about a shomer. A shomer is watching something, and then he steals it from the owner by taking it for himself. Where does he have a din to return it? If he's still a shomer, he can return it to himself, everything's fine. But if he's no longer a shomer, now there's a din, he has to return it to the right owner. If he has to return it to the right owner, the Gemara is arguing, then certainly would have to inform him. All right. Now, one was the, one of the things that we said, it was a Shiloh, whether or not counting helps, right? Rav holds that when it was known to the owner, you have to notify him. Counting doesn't help. Shmuel holds that counting does help. So the Mars says, Let's say that this issue of whether counting else is someone robs from his friend and he included the worth of the stolen item in a sum that he paid to the victim for another reason. Meaning, let's say you, you stole, you owe someone $20 or something you stole. So the next time that you're buying something from him, let's say he has a grocery store. So you're shopping by him. So you slip an extra 20 into the payment. Is that a good, valid way of paying him back? So Tanya Chadamon Bar says, Yatza, you're good. You're no longer responsible. Tanya Yidok Lo Yatza. So what's the question? We think everyone holds like Rabbi Yitzchak that a person is always in the habit of touching his purse to make sure the money is there. So presumably he's going to notice that he got the extra 20. So my love, he holds that counting exempts a robber from responsibility. Therefore, therefore, even though you didn't inform him that you're paying him back, but since he's going to notice it by touching his wallet the whole time, that's good. The opinion that says you're not, you say sovereign minion ain't no pleasure. He holds that counting does not exempt the robber from responsibility. So since you didn't notify him that you were paying him back, even though he's going to notice it, it's not good enough. So the Gemara responds, Amri, no, Israel like Rabbi Yitzchak, if we would hold like Rabbi Yitzchak, that a person always counts the money in his purse. Everyone would agree that counting potters the robber from liability, of course, because he'd become aware of it. Meaning, everyone agrees with Shmuel that minion potters. They might just be arguing about whether or not Rabbi Yitzchak's 
uh, idea is true that you always no- notice in how much money is in your wallet. Therefore, the, the owner presumably did count the money after it was returned in your yotzei. The other opinion disagrees with Rabbi Yitzchak. So there's no, and there's not a good enough reason to assume that the owner counted the money, and that's why you're not yotzei. Says the Gemara, but you buy him another pshat. Cool, I'm not Rabbi Yitzchak. Everyone agrees with Rabbi Yitzchak, and everyone agrees that counting suffices. Well, Kasha, there's no actually no contradiction in the brayses. How the money Rambam Levi Kisei, the brayse that says your Yosef is where he counted the where he counted the money because he put it into his purse. So therefore, if it's in the purse, he's certainly going to count it. So that's why you're Yosef. Ah, the money Rambam Levi Yade, but the other case is that you put it into the victim's hand. So meaning to say, therefore, what? So the victim may have put them, may have just kept it in his hand and gone home and put it into some random, I don't know, it stuck a box in his house. In other words, you don't know that. Idea that he put it into his purse where he's always counting it. Rabbi Yitzchak's idea that a person always counts money in his purse is unique to the wallet, right? To the purse. You always are noticing how much money is in your wallet. But if you paid it, if you put it back in the wallet, very good. So then certainly he's going to count it and become aware. But if you just stick it in his hand, I didn't know it's going to the wallet. Maybe it's going somewhere else very quickly. So therefore, you don't necessarily know that the guy counted it. Says the you buy the same before the explanation. If you the money of Rabbi Kisei, both kids, you put it in the purse. There's no contradiction. In the second bride, so he's not Yotze, it's where the victim had other money in its side of the purse. So he didn't know how much was in his purse when he left his house. So even if he counts the money at some point, you won't realize the money has been returned. All less where the bride says you are Yotze, is where he didn't have other money in his, is where he didn't have other money in his purse or where he didn't know how much money was in his purse to begin with. So when, when he, certainly. He's going to count the coins after the sale. He'll realize that the, the, it had been returned. So we're saying basically, he could just be referring to different cases. One case, he knew how much was in his wallet before. In one case, he didn't know how much, wallet, how much money was in his wallet before. Okay, now the Mishnah continues with, this is really a continuation. Remember, we're saying about like, you know, when you're buying things, or should you be nervous that they're stolen items? It's, even if technically it might be after years, but maybe it's, it's a repulsive thing to buy. Uh, to acquire items that you know are, are stolen from other people. So the Mishnah continues with that theme. And local Monroeim, you shouldn't buy from shepherds. Semer, Chalav, Gudayim. You shouldn't buy wool, milk, or little baby coats. And the reason is these people aren't necessarily the top of society over here. And uh, it's very likely that they steal these things from the flock of their employers. So when they're coming and doing business, you're really buying stolen goods. So you shouldn't purchase those things. Lo mishum repairos, etim repairs. You shouldn't buy wood or fruit from the watchmen of fruit orchards. So these watchmen, the same thing, we, we suspect that they stole the, item, the items from the orchard. Ava lokum and anashim, you're allowed to buy from women. Kleit semer, v'yehuda. You're allowed to buy woolen garments from these married women, yehuda, klipishim, galil, or the linen garments in the galil. That's just different practices of working with the wool or the linen. V'agalim v'sharon, or the calves and the sharon. We don't suspect that women are stealing from their husbands. As we assume, no. They're the women's own possessions and they're selling them with the, um, the women's, with the consent of their husband. Rashi just explains, like, the calves are inexpensive. The reason why we mentioned the Agal is because there were a lot of calves there. They were inexpensive. That's how the people got into the business. In all these cases, if the woman, though, said, I need you to hide what you're buying, you know, I'll sell it to you, but hide it. I'll sell you the suit, but don't, don't wear it in public. So then, Asr. Then it's also to buy it from her because we get suspicious. The reason why she's saying that is because it's stolen. <laughs> you can always buy an egg or a chicken anywhere. These things are very cheap. So we don't assume that anyone would, would take the risk for being caught stealing. Um, it's just not worth it. So therefore, the eggs and chickens can be bought anywhere. You cannot buy from shepherds, mature goats, or little baby goats. Or fleeces of wool that are torn from the sheep. 
You could buy garments which were sewn because we assume that those belong to them. Why? Rashi explains even if we do assume that they that they took the wolf and their employers, there's already been a shino and maisa when they process it into a garment. So at this point, it's no, it's nothing wrong. You're, you're not doing anything wrong by buying it from them at this point. If it's the raw material, we're, we're concerned. But if it's already been turned into a garment, so then we're not concerned. You can buy for them milk and cheese in the in the wilderness, but not in the settled area. So if it's the wilderness, you could buy. Why? Because it's un, it's not common for the owners of the flocks that makes these things to, to, to travel out all the way to collect these things from the shepherd. So therefore, basically, the owners give these things up to the shepherds. That's the idea. They have no problem if in the if in the, in the desert the shepherds are taking the milk. But if they live in close proximity to the settled area, where it'd be very ner- it would be very normal for the shepherd to deliver this to the owner every day. So therefore, it would, we might be concerned that it is stolen. And if it's stolen, then you shouldn't be buying but even though we said you shouldn't buy sheep, you could buy from them four or five sheep at one time. Or four or five fleeces. Why is that? Because that they wouldn't risk so much, right? If they're selling so much, presumably it must be theirs. Because if they're if it's um if they're stealing, you would you sell one or two or whatever. You're not going to sell so many. You can't buy two sheep or two fleeces at the same time. And what's with three? We'll see in the Gemara. If they're domestic sheep, you could buy from them. The sheep that go out in the range further out, those you cannot buy. In other words, we wouldn't risk stealing domestic ones because the owner knows the count of the flock. He'll notice that it's missing. But if there are those that go out far away to graze, so those are the ones that you're not allowed to buy because those are the ones that um, it, it would be easier for them to be steal and not be nervous about getting caught. The price that sums it up, what is the rule? Anything that is being sold by the shepherd that the owner would have a sense that it's missing, those you can buy because those we assume he's not going to risk being caught in market but if it's something that the owner will not sense is missing in local you cannot buy from them so the Gemara analyzes what do you say I'm interested you can buy four or five sheep or four or five fleeces at once so once you say four goats it's okay certainly five why do you say four or five it means four out of five meaning he's actually selling 80% four fifths of the flock so that's a lot you know, according to our chista, you can only buy if he's on four fifths. Different shot. If it's a small flock, then even four sheep you're allowed to buy because it'd be so obvious to the owner he wouldn't risk it. Five, five from a large flock because from a large flock it takes more for him for, to, to certainly notice. Says Gufa There's inherent difficulty with the brisa. Amrit first you say He's in four or five. It sounds like you need four or five to buy, but not just three. But Ama safe, then the safe is low shade, so not two. And it sounds like three you could buy. So what is three? Is three mutter is three oser. Lokasha Haber Brysa Avakishta. If you're talking about the 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 end of the price that's mantra three, he's talking about healthy sheep. Whereas only four or five, he's talking about frail sheep. So he values the healthy sheep. So he watches the healthy sheep a lot more than he's watching the frail sheep. So for the frail sheep, it's only it's only mother four or five. For the healthy ones, even three is permitted. Then review that added that it depends if it's domestic or range. So he's going on the ratio and he's being machmer. He's going on the safe and he's being lenient. So the Gemara explains the question. He's going on the ratio and being machmer. The Tanakhama said you can buy four or five sheep. Is it the pshat that Rebuda is being machmer? He's saying they say you can buy four or five sheep. Only if they're domestic. But if they're the range ones, even four or five, you cannot buy. Because even if it's four or five, you may not notice if they're out ranging far away. Maybe he's going on the safe and he's being lenient. said, You can't buy two sheep. So maybe Rebuda is being lenient. saying this, that you can't buy two. That's only if they're the ones that they're... Um, 
far away. Avabaisers with domestic ones, you can you'll notice even two, and you can even buy two. So which way should we understand Rabbi Yudah? So Tashma, we come and prove the Tanya says in the price. Rabbi the Omer, Lo can buy some ham, you can buy the domestic sheep from them. You can't buy the rain sheep. And in any place, you can always buy four or five. So in the Omer, since he said in any place, meaning even even the range ones, even the wilderness, he was going on the Seifa, and he's being makel. He's saying this, that it's also to buy two sheep, that's only the Midbaris. But by the ones that are close by, even two, it could be Mekel Shmami. No, we in fact see that that is the opinion of Rabbi Yudah.